Welcome back to Brazil Crypto Report. Today I'm joined by Mike Cassetta, Chief Revenue Officer at Paxos, which is one of the largest blockchain infrastructure firms in the world. We talk about the company's tokenization, white label stablecoin, and crypto as a service product offerings, as well as its expansion efforts into the Brazil and other LATAM markets. All right, so we're here with Mike Cassetta of Paxos. Mike, thanks so much for being on the show. Oh, thank you. Great to be here, Aaron, and uh, excited to, to talk through quite a bit today. Amazing, amazing. So to get started, why don't you give us a bit of an introduction to yourself and how you ended up at Paxos? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I run revenue for Paxos. So think of that as your you know, sales, partnerships, business development, customer success, and you can have anything market-facing. Um, on the acquisition, retention, and operation side. Um, I've been fascinated by, you know, the, we'll call it the crypto world for quite a while. I used to work for Jack Dorsey at, at, at Square, um, and you can't be around him, you know, that much and not be somewhat fascinated by, um, by the space. But what, what really attracted me to Paxos was that Paxos was taking the um, kind of, at that time, very uncommon uh, tact into the world of doing it in a regulated way, doing it as infrastructure, really as blockchain infrastructure, um, you know, not as a crypto um, speculatory engine, um, and third, to do it across many different assets and as asset classes. So um, when I saw the opportunity to join the company, it was, it was pretty awesome and uh, definitely was excited to join and uh, wouldn't want to turn that down. I think there's a huge opportunity in the space uh, and we're only at the very beginning of it. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, just focusing on Paxos specifically here, uh, I agree. Like Paxos has been kind of one of the the OG companies in the space for a while, probably one of the first, if not the first, that was really uh, kind of in this, you know, TradFi meets crypto, kind of trying to be like, you know, kind of the regulated niche. I guess that back then it was a niche. Now it's not really a niche anymore. Yeah. Um, and you've you've been through a few iterations. Uh, it started off as ItBit uh, as an exchange. Uh, you guys launched one of the first regulated stable coins uh, under the bit license framework in 2018, uh, which I actually like had the exclusive story on that as I was real. I remember, remember that as I was doing the preparation for this recording, I was like, wow, I remember this. Then uh, you guys have, have, have uh, kind of dabbled a bit with like blockchain based equity settlement. Uh, you guys had, uh, you know, you applied for like a banking license in the U S back when, uh, you know, we had a, a regulator who was a bit more favorable to the industry, I guess, heading that agency. Uh, <laughs> And uh, so you guys have been doing a lot of stuff, right, over the years, like, you know, 10 plus years. And we'd love to just get kind of a brain dump from you on, you know, what is what is Paxos all about? What's sort of the core ethos? What are the core principles? What are the core uh, problems you're trying to solve right now? Yeah, I mean, you, you just did a great job giving the background on how we got <laughs> here. So um, you're, you're welcome to join a sales call anytime. Um, you know, Paxos <laughs> is trying to help companies, usually enterprise companies, enterprise size, enterprise grade, global, complex um, often regulated, um, mostly financial, but not all um, companies bring their customers into the blockchain world. So, you know, we're a backend infrastructure company. Uh, we can provide all of the, the technological uh, capabilities for a company like a PayPal or an interactive brokers or a Mercado Libre or a new bank to offer crypto or blockchain based services to their end customers. And we do that not just by providing the technology, uh, but by, by providing, in some cases, the, the legal, regulatory, and compliance framework, if need be, um, as a regulated entity to be able to do that. We can provide the liquidity, um, either through our own you know, means or through a set of exchange partners. 
Um, we have the ability to help tokenize uh, new assets or obviously to be able to use tokenized versions of existing assets like gold or dollars with USDP or now PYUSD, the PayPal um, stable coin, because there are a lot of different solutions out there that companies are trying to achieve um, that are blockchain based. And, and whether that means they need to send money or move money faster, or they want to have better transparency around the, the, the movement of existing money, or they want to provide crypto trading to their end customers, or there's demand for dollars or demand for gold. We, we have the ability to help companies, again, large platform companies, offer these services to their end customers, but to do it in a compliant, regulated, and technological first way. Um, and as the infrastructure provider, you know, we don't run a retail business, so we're not interested ever in competing you know, with them for their end users. And I think that really does separate our, um, our offerings from many others uh, on top of the fact that we do it in a very regulatory first approach. Um, you mentioned the, you know, trust. Um, we have a trust from the New York Department of Financial Services, um, which is the same regulator that regulates some of the largest asset managers on earth, like, like BNY Mellon. Um, we're regulated from the MAS in Singapore. We have a full major payments institution license from Singapore. Um, you know, we, we will always take a regulatory first approach in every market um, that we, we operate in or that we help customers operate in. And that continues to be a really important part of our strategy uh, and the value prop that we offer to our platform customers today. Got it. Got it. No, I think it's interesting in the sense that we, we were mentioning about uh, how you're not necessarily competing with your, you know, you're not offering, you're offering just the infrastructure. You're not actually uh, offering any product directly to retail, right? So where there's some of these other platforms that maybe offer similar services, but they're also, uh, they're, they're also, you know, competing for retail users. So they're kind of like competing against their own customers in a sense on the enterprise front. Uh, but you guys are just like, just strictly focused on enterprise, basically just on the, on the infrastructure. Um, uh, so that's super helpful. Um, maybe talk a bit more. I mean, you kind of, you know, teed up this question here with your answer there, but like just thinking about kind of your core product offerings and, uh, and, and how do you think about customer segmentation? Um, you know, who are you really, who are kind of the core folks you're looking at, at at this stage in the maturity of the market? Like who are the core folks you're, you're having conversations with, you're looking to have conversations with, and what are the types of products and services that, uh, that these folks are, are, you know, or what do you offer that they're, they're, they're finding, you know, of interest and, and of, 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 of use? Definitely. So, uh, it's a, it's a great question because it allows me to kind of put my, my sales hat back on, uh, you know, who do we <laughs> want to speak to? We want to speak to anyone, uh, anyone looking to solve the following problems. Um, you know, are you a company, again, looking to move money ar around the world in a faster, cheaper, uh, more secure way, but to do it under the, the re regulatory and compliance requirements necessary to do that? Um, we can help through things like stablecoin and, and, you know, other asset types that I think are going to be very helpful for people to figure out the next generation of money movement. That could be remittances, that could be supply chain payments, that could be B2B, that could be intra-company movements to balance capital or collateral around the world for credit purposes as needed. So we see a lot of demand from large tech companies, large financial service companies that have these problems that they're trying to solve um, you know, on a constant basis. Um, if you're a platform that has a large amount of users and you wanna offer them the ability to buy, sell, hold, transfer, so send, receive uh, native crypto, Bitcoin, Ethereum, Litecoin, et cetera, um, you know, we can help you offer that in a very, very easy turnkey way with again, all regulatory um, apparatus and, and requirements in a box for you to be able to provide this in a very, very safe and compliant way uh, for your end users. Um, if your users are looking for a diversification uh, of assets and you want to find a way to give them access to U.S. dollars or gold, um, we can do that in a tokenized way. 
Um, and we can provide them tokenized gold, PAXG. We can provide them tokenized dollars, USDP or PYUSD, um, which are, our, are the two stable coins that we issue today. Um, and we see a tremendous amount of demand from global companies for access to dollars for store of value as a hedge against inflation, um, as a more stable me means of purchasing goods and services or paying their contractors or employees around the world. We see that happening a lot. That problem today is a very challenging problem for most companies to solve without a lot of major infrastructure build, a lot of real significant costs, 5, 10, 15 percent, you know, often cost of capital around the world. Um, and to do it in a, in a global way, be able to send money instantly. Um, and again, we see that this is really a big future uh, that really leans on our stable coin, but also leans on the ability to provide uh, and to have access to the rest of the infrastructure Paxos provides as well whether it be a, a digital wallet, um, again, the KYC or regulatory requirements so that you can feel very comfortable you're doing this properly. Um, and then of course the reporting and the data and all the other things that companies are very interested in seeing and knowing um, you know, about what their active customers are using the products for. Got it, got it. And then just out of curiosity, it's something I've always, I've always sort of wondered as, as far as like, why would a, a FinTech you know, take, you know, FinTech app X, whatever, you know, I mean, mm -hmm. not, not the, not the new, not the new Twitter, but like just the, <laughs> well, <laughs> but like just any theoretical, like hypothetical FinTech app. Right. And these guys are saying, Hey, we want to add some crypto in because we see our, there's a demand from our consumers and our consumers, our users are younger people who are more interested in crypto, yada, yada. And like, what's the Delta essentially between going with kind of like a turnkey service, like a Paxos that's offering kind of a, you know, a, a kind of a, a full stack, like crypto as a service type of offering versus, hey, we're just going to try to like bootstrap this and, you know, maybe do it ourselves and kind of piece it together. Um, like how, like what's the delta there? Like in terms of just maybe the amount of work and expense involved uh, and, and, you know, between those, you know, those, those two trajectories. Yeah. So it, it's a great question, uh, kind of the build or buy, right? You know, typical uh, bimodal question. I would say buying, buying in a space that's new to a company is usually a really good path forward. It's a very good first step, that's for sure. Um, to build this infrastructure requires not just the right technology, uh, but also requires the right due diligence internally to be able to understand the technology from a cryptography standpoint, a security standpoint, um, a custody standpoint, a regulatory standpoint, all of that, which also means you as the company, if you're going to build this, need to then build those teams in-house to dedicate just to crypto. And on top of the typical regulatory KYC IDV work, right, there's also a ton of transaction monitoring and ongoing, you know, alerts and monitoring that has to happen across blockchain uh, that doesn't happen in the same traditional way that it would on, on traditional banking rails. So it really does require a significant amount of, of technological expertise, a massive amount of time to understand the right build, the right maintenance, you know, mode as well. And then also... How long will it take to then stand up and, and really grow an operation uh, after you've even built it? And then what are the unknowns that are going to happen there? So we, we just think unless, unless you know, blockchain is the native business a company runs, uh, that being able to buy and access a turnkey solution that includes all of the necessary infrastructure from day one um, is definitely the smarter path. It's the simpler path. Uh, it's definitely the safer path. Uh, because of the regulatory infrastructure that's also being provided. And I would say even if the company is not operating in a country or a region today that's regulated officially from a crypto perspective, at some point, we, we believe our belief as a company is that eventually all crypto falls into a, a standard regulatory framework. Some companies are moving much faster. Sorry, some countries are moving much faster on that than others. Um, but we believe that at some point, everything will be 
regulated across the space. But even if it's not regulated today, many companies who are looking to touch the space and enter the space are regulated. So I think choosing a regulated partner um, is a really, really critical step as well to be able to enter the space again safely as they then figure out what are the other things they potentially want to do in-house later. Um, but it's a, it's a massive build. It's a very, very new world for a lot of companies. And we hear from a lot of traditional financial, financial companies, they're like, it's hard enough to get resources internally to build you know, a reporting you know, document, let alone you know, build crypto and blockchain infrastructure you know, with, with you know, MPC or, or HSM technology built in. They don't even know what this means. So I think it's a much safer path to go with a, a trusted partner. Yeah, that definitely, that, you, you've got me convinced anyway. So that's, that definitely makes a lot of sense. <laughs> I'll uh, send you a contract. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Easiest deal you've closed this week. Huh? Done. Uh, but uh, let's do, so you guys have had kind of an interesting 2023, um, you know, I mean, it's been an interesting year for, for the whole market, I guess, but you guys, you know, started off with, there's a New York DFS action against the Binance USD stablecoin, which you guys were the infrastructure provider for. And then when, you know, it's probably, you know, gave you a few sleepless nights. Uh, but then, uh, you know, things kind of rebounded later in the year. Like you guys launched the, the PayPal, uh, PYUSD stablecoin, which was, I mean, in my view, it's probably at least the biggest announcement of the summer, uh, just across the entire industry when there was frankly not that much good news to talk about. Uh, but that, that stablecoin announcement was really like, I mean, I think that's really kind of a game changer for the industry in the sense of like just having a, a trusted, you know, really like web two, you know, fintech, tradfi, whatever you want to call it, name endorsing this. And, um, you know, I, I, it was just, it's just a massive boon for the industry. So would love to kind of get uh, some perspective from you on just like how Paxos has been navigating this, uh, you know, there's kind of this combination of like the bear market plus this kind of regulatory minefield whack-a-mole game that, 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 you know, you guys are like trying to play by the rules, but the rules kind of keep changing. We don't really know what the rules are sometimes. And it's just kind of a, a diff difficult game to play sometimes. Yeah. I mean, I'll give you kind of three real key pillars to the way we run our business. And I think the reason why PayPal chose to, you know, partner with us, for example, uh, on their stable coin is that we, we, we believe again, three things have to be the case um, for the industry to move forward. Number one is that there has to be a regulatory framework that everyone can play by and, and the rules are clear and, and black and white. Uh, and I think it's a new industry. The US obviously has a hundred other things that are that are distracting it from getting there. But we believe that eventually everyone's gonna have to play by the same rules in the US as well. Outside the US, again, we've seen a lot of forward movement and a lot of advancing of those regulations. We think that even before the government gets those rules and, and you know kind of guidelines in place, that we should already be operating as if they are in place. And, you know, NYDFS, for example, already issued guidelines on stablecoin and, you know, how to, to, to monitor and manage, you know, kind of crypto companies. Uh, so we, we already have a regulatory framework that we operate under. And that may end up being the gold standard across the United States. And, and you know, if so, then we're already in a really good place. And I don't think that ever changes. The second is we see a lot of companies that are, you know, really craving in the uncertainty of the space and the uncertainty of the bear market and the crypto winter, whatever you call it, to have a partner who they know at the end of the day is not going to be FTX, right? And it's not going to be Celsius. It's not going to be any of these. And, you know, our regulatory status, I think, gives that confidence. I think the, the enterprise-grade partners we have give that confidence that this is a very well-established customer base with very clearly established regulatory rules that we abide by. And the third is that I think any, any company operating in the space has to be flexible and agile. 
because things do change. The world changes constantly. It's a new industry. It's a new technology. There are new applications of a new technology happening every day. So, you know, when we saw, for example, the BUSD wind down happen, you know, we're very proud to say that we were able to redeem, you know, almost $8 billion of BUSD in less than three days um, effortlessly for those end users. And although that's not a positive thing to say, I think the whole point is, you know, we had that coin and token operate exactly the way a regulated token should operate. People were able to get their money as soon as they asked for it. Uh, and they were able to get it in as transparent and as seamless of a way uh, that's possible. We haven't seen that with other stable coins uh, around the world. We've seen some major uh, de-pegging events happen this year. We've seen major, you know, market cap losses on, on you know, one very specific stable coin, you know, out of the U.S. And I think because people don't view them as trustworthy as they, they once were uh, and definitely not as stable uh, as they claim to be. And that's why I think, again, being able to abide by proper regulatory framework with really solid enterprise grade partners, but then to be very agile and flexible in the way you view the world, right? Because again, things are going to change constantly. So having a proper risk management framework and thinking about risk in a very forward way, um, I think is something that, that enters new industries over time. And a lot of times it takes some bad examples to kind of cause people to remember there's risk around, but, you know, we operate in a very, very conservative, um, you know, very kind of uh, modest uh, growth path forward uh, because we want to make sure that the technology we're building not only is the right tech, but that it's stable, that it's uh, very reliable, that it's resilient, and that it can respond to some of the major challenges that the macro environment may pose on the company and on the technology itself. Got it. Got it. Uh, and pivoting back to the, the PayPal, PayPal stablecoin here, um, PYUSD, um, for the longest time I was calling it PyUSD, but I realized that was <laughs> referring to it incorrectly. So PYUSD. Uh, and what's been the initial uptake on this so far? I mean, I realize we're, we're only a couple of months after launch, so it's maybe not a huge, uh, sample size, but, uh, are there any early indications just around like, like who's using it? What are they using it for? How much are they using it? Uh, and maybe more interestingly, has this maybe stimulated the demand for, for other types of institutions to, uh, issue their own white label stable coins, or at least, you know, start exploring that, that concept. Uh, I'll start with the end. Uh, we just got back from Money 2020 a conference in Vegas um, last week. I will say the demand is very strong for companies to mm. both explore um, what a white label stablecoin could look like inside their ecosystem, uh, as well as the ability to accept um, or send out PYUSD, for example, from their ecosystem if there's a reason to do so, whether it be for payments, whether it be for collateral, whether it be for, for credit purposes, whatever the case is, uh, we're seeing a significant amount of demand for companies now seeing, okay, PayPal saw value in having a digital dollar inside of its ecosystem. Now, PayPal's a company that for 25, 28 years has been sending dollars around the world, sending currency around the world. Uh, well, then what can we do to partner with PayPal to now receive digital uh, dollar from them? So the use cases that are popping up are very often the same use cases that PayPal, for example, has always been known for. Sending money between family members, sending money to merchants for goods and services, uh, sending cross-border uh, payments to family members around the world, uh, as well as just the standard store of value uh, that a lot of users around the, the, the world really see uh, by having dollars and access to dollars in uh, their bank account, very often sometimes in markets where it may be very difficult uh, to get access to dollars. So, you know, we've seen significant uptake in, in the token. We've taken a very, again, conservative approach uh, to growing this, but because a lot of the partners for PYUSD are large global regulated companies, they're a little slow too. And it takes them some time, not just to kind of figure out how do they incorporate this into their 
their ecosystem or community, uh, but even just getting the legal documents out of the way and some of the negotiations out of the way there uh, just takes some time. But we've seen over $140 million in market cap today. Um, I believe it's now listed on 10 or 11 um, different exchanges around the world. The fastest token to ever be listed on that many, it's literally under seven weeks um, to get there. And I think what you're seeing is, is credibility, legitimacy, but also a very giant network that PayPal's in, integrated to already that now those network participants, whether they be traditional payments companies, traditional acquirers, large merchants, large global marketplaces are seeing, oh, wow, we never realized the opportunity and the value gain uh, from potentially using a stable coin versus using uh, traditional fiat rails to move money. So I think we're at the, you know, 0.01% stage, um, you know, the one basis point stage of growth and um, evolution of PYUSD. Um, and, you know, seeing them as a as partner excited about taking this innovation to their customers, you know, we're very proud to be their infrastructure, regulatory and, um, you know, technology partner on the other side. No, that's super interesting, and I uh, appreciate that color. And congratulations on that. That is pretty impressive uptake. Uh, you know, especially in in sort of a down market when you know there, there's not so much interest in these things just across the board, right? Um, any color you could maybe give on, you know, kind of how this whole deal came together, and um, and maybe I guess the first question I had when I saw the announcement come out was was really like, why are they doing this now? Um, when it's it's kind of like okay this doesn't really seem like the most you know promising time to be launching a new crypto product but um but any kind of color you could give around just kind of how this all came together would be i think would be super interesting yeah i mean i, I would defer to paypal's statements on why now and and what they're you know excited to do with this over time i think they realize that again the market's always going to be you know unpredictable obviously there's a new ceo in there dan shulman's run this company for many years you know this was kind of his last um you know big project as a, as a company before he stepped out um, and the new CEO stepped in. So uh, I think you'll see a lot of evolution within PayPal's own statements of what they see this token and this coin being able to provide to its customers. But I think also they recognize that this is a new technology that's going to take some time for use cases to also kind of pop up organically on their own. And we've already seen, um, you know, some of that. And, you know, we'll see much more of this over time. Uh, you know, PayPal's a large uh, payments company. Uh, I think they recognize that this is a key part of the innovation and evolution that potentially the whole payments world, um, you know, will participate in. And I think they really wanted to be one of the earlier adopters, you know, on this. Uh, in terms of how the partnership came about this, we've been a partner with PayPal since 2021, sorry, end of 2020, you know, really when they launched uh, a, a crypto buy, sell, hold product within the PayPal app itself, and then eventually inside of Venmo. Um, and you've seen a, a significant amount of growth in, in that product. You've seen a significant amount of usage in that product. They've spoken about it many times uh, on their calls as being one of their growth drivers for the business. So this, I think, is the next evolution of taking a blockchain technology uh, and applying it to a very traditional, very simple, and also very well-known use case um, of sending money uh, and to do it in a really very forward-thinking way. So again, I think we're only at the very beginning of seeing how PYUSD gets used seeing what PayPal wants to do with it. And, you know, we will continue to be the infrastructure provider and the issuer, you know, of that token as they do kind of take the lead in figuring out what this token does um, in the universe. That's super interesting. And just one other, not, not to go like, divert too far down this rabbit hole here, but 
I find this topic of white label stable coins just really interesting because it's this idea that basically like any you don't necessarily have to be like only like a fintech or a bank or something to issue your own stable coin. You could be like Walmart or something, or you could be you know anybody could basically at least in theory do this. So that there'd be some you know various challenges associated with it. But uh, as far as the people that you know you've been talking to at Money Twenty Twenty and other folks who have maybe they, they they saw the PayPal announcement, and they're like, oh, we should start taking this seriously now. Um, what does that kind of universe of potential customers look like? Is it mainly folks from kind of TradFi, FinTech who are maybe, maybe hey, maybe we got to get really, we got to get, you know, get ahead of the game on this blockchain thing? Or is it, you know, maybe even like non-traditional, like people you wouldn't expect uh, to be interested in this type of thing that are that are calling up and, and expressing some interest, wanting to learn more, et cetera? I, I think you're seeing kind of the typical Jeffrey Moore uh, adoption curve here. I think the first curve of you know any stablecoin use was really crypto native so you're very early adopter and innovator phase you know you saw a lot of market cap growth um for usdc for tether on in DeFi, and again very crypto native use cases i think where regulated stablecoins come in and what we've seen with usdp with pyusd is that you now can have very traditional financial use cases you know with these tokens and, and with the application of them but then you need a regulated partner because again, moving money around the world between regulated entities, you certainly want your partner in between to also be regulated. So we've seen again, a significant demand where the use case is very obvious and very immediate. And I think those are fintechs and those are financial service companies. But the third category is now starting to evolve. And I mentioned this a little bit before of you know global technology companies, global marketplaces. Think of companies that have things like payouts or supply chain payments or Maybe they're, they're doing a, a, a lot of wholesaling um, or there's a lot of cross-border money movement or there's money in one place, but there's trading happening in another place and they need to get the money into that market to be able to trade against it or borrow against it. You know, there are a ton of use cases that are very, very early um, in their kind of understanding uh, as, as well as even earlier in their adoption. But I think that will be the next real massive shift to getting stablecoins into the mainstream which is seeing the largest blocks of money moving around the world, but doing it through digital means. And again, to do it in a very transparent, compliant way. So, you know, when you hear things like, oh, the whole industry is built on non-compliance or, you know, how do they keep money out of bad actors' hands? Well, that's exactly what we do for a living is ensure that money stays out of bad actors' hands and that companies can feel very safe taking on a new technology to solve these problems, whether it be to cut costs, to add margin, Right to enable a new business unit to open up new markets that wouldn't have been possible before, but to be able to do that again with a very trusted partner. So when they're thinking about a white label stablecoin specifically, it may be the right solution for them. It may not be. They may want to use a, a, an established stablecoin like USDP or PYUSD to be able to solve the same problem, but then not have the added complexity of having to manage kind of the, the branding and the white label side of the stablecoin. Uh, I would say if there's a company who wants to explore this, that they should come to us and we'll help them explore what the right solution is for them. Uh, I could say at Money 2020, we had two meetings specifically where they came to us to talk about a white label stablecoin, but at the end of the meeting said, well, okay, it sounds like we should just use one of the existing stablecoins. The answer is, yeah, that's probably the simplest path forward. Uh, but for some companies, there may be tremendous value to white label. You know, and then one of our goals, of course, just like with dollars today, that all dollars are interchangeable. Well, we want to make sure that all stable coins can eventually be you know, interchangeable, but that means they all have to play by the same rules and have the same regulatory structure, the same reserve management and asset backing that, that I think is critical um, for any stable coin to be treated truly as a dollar and for people to have faith in their partner and trust in their partner if they're going to adopt it in some of these newer spaces. But 
from more traditional companies. Great, great. And um, I've been thinking a lot about stable coins just in the context of, of, of AI, right? We're all, I guess we're all sort of AI adopters now, whether we like it or not. And, you know, just thinking about, well, what's, what's the application of crypto with, with AI, right? It's like, well, if you think about it, like, okay, are all these AI bots, are all these applicants, are these, these guys all going to have bank accounts or like, you know, if they're funneling money around, if they're sending money around, like, no, they're going to use crypto, of course. Right. So, uh, so like stable coins in that context just seems to like make, you know, there, it seems like there's going to be a lot of interest in that type of, you know, that convergence here at some point. I mean, it just seems inevitable, uh, from my vantage point, at least. Um, but turning, yeah. turning over to, um, you know, to Latin America and Brazil specifically, uh, I know you were in Sao Paulo a couple of weeks ago uh, doing some meetings and would love to just get your thoughts on, you know, just from your experience here. But also uh, tell us a bit about just Paxos's uh, kind of strategic positioning in the region. Uh, how are you viewing the region? Uh, what kind of resources do you have uh, deployed or devoted here um, and anything along those lines? Yeah, there's a lot in there. Latin America's become <laughs> uh, not just this like real bright, shiny light in um, in the, the kind of blockchain world and the evolution of really broad fintech. Uh, but, you know, we also see very regulatory um, first approaches in places like Brazil, where the, both the central bank and I think even the broader uh, federal government have come out very, very strongly in favor of seeing innovation, um, you know, that's blockchain based, whether it be the Drex pilot, you know, the digital real, um, whether it be having clear, you know, kind of guidance on, you know, how crypto companies operate inside you know, of Brazil, you know, very clear reporting and, and transaction monitoring, um, you know, set of frameworks. So I, I think Brazil really has taken the lead, you know, across almost any region we've seen um, to say, okay, this is a part of the future. We want to be part of the future. We want to do it in a very collaborative, very transparent way. And I think the central bank has led that. And the central bank of Brazil is also very famous for innovating and building one of the most successful fintech products of all time, which is PIX. I think the fastest product ever to 100 million um, active users, you know, probably in history of the world. Um, and I think it's pretty incredible to see that. Uh, but Latin America broadly uh, tends to bring uh, a lot of demand for, for crypto, you know, for, for multiple reasons. Number one, a lot of those markets don't have access to U.S. dollars, uh, at least not easily. So we see stablecoin adoption and stablecoin demand coming, you know, very strong from many countries across Latin America and for very different reasons. Um, you know, the demand you see in Colombia because of currency, um, kind of uh, devaluation or in Argentina because of hyperinflation um, or other markets because of like historical banking challenges and banking uncertainty. You know, we've seen a lot of demand in Brazil. We see demand for dollars for very different reasons, whether it be, you know, as a store of value or because they want to travel or because they want to purchase goods, you know, in other markets where dollars are uh, either the denomination or where they're preferred. You know, we've seen a big spike um, in, in that type of demand. Um, but Latin America also is a, a, a market where you have significant sectoral growth, significant investment happening, you know, broadly into those markets. Um, and when you even think about some of the onshoring efforts that are happening in the Western Hemisphere, you're also seeing significant demand for cross-border payments um, in places like Mexico, from Brazil to Argentina, you know, from the U.S. to Colombia. You're seeing a lot more demand. Um, for tech, for dollars and for assets that are, again, denominated and driven by blockchain uh, because you can now move this money and, and access these technologies in a much faster, transparent way. So we continue to see Latin America as a growth region for us. We have amazing partners in Latin America and companies like New Bank and Mercado Libre, two of the biggest uh, out there. Just on New Bank's news, now over 90 million 
um, users across their platform, just really amazing business partners for us to have um, in the region who know the region and who are very excited about seeing technology evolve the offerings that they give to their end customers uh, across all the markets uh, that they operate in. So, you know, we continue to be an eager partner for them uh, and we'll continue to put resources to not only winning deals uh, in Brazil and the rest of South America and Latin America, but also um, to maintain and to help grow those customers' businesses with us as well. Great, great. And focusing on the the, the new bank angle here, um, I mean, you guys kind of had a nice, nice like head start in the region, I suppose. You had New Bank and then Mercado Libre and then uh, and then PicPay as well. As, as I mean, PicPay is obviously they're they've they announced a couple weeks ago that they're going to be sunsetting their uh, their product, and they've I mean, I think within you know like a, a month or two of, of launching, basically all these platforms had onboarded about you know a million plus users. Like I think New Bank hit a million users in like three weeks or something. I think Mercado Mercado Pago was something similar to that. I'd be interested in a, just like how these deals came together. Like, how did you guys, you know, find the, you know, how did, how did that match get made? Uh, but how has that experience been just operationally and key learnings we can identify after uh, a year in the market? I, I think you started with one of the key learnings was that there's a massive pent up demand um, in Latin and Central America, South America for crypto. Um, at, that may be because it's very hard for some of these markets to access U.S. equities and, and stocks. Uh, that are traded outside of those local stock exchanges. Um, so crypto to them represents an opportunity for investment in some cases. Um, you know, some speculation, some investment, some just store of value. Um, we do see quite a bit of demand. Uh, again, I mentioned for for stablecoin because um, many of these these countries and users have a history of of seeing either you know high inflation or a lot of banking uncertainty. So they see having access to dollars as as a, a hedge against some of that inflation worry and that long-term kind of anxiety, um, you know, around what potentially could happen in the financial sector. The third thing is you're seeing now, you know, for example, Mercado Pago also launched with us in Mexico. So being able to open up other markets, you know, using the same infrastructure provider, the same platform, the same regulatory stack that gives them confidence that they can expand with us as well. And I think that expansion is going to be a, a really valuable part of seeing how these companies evolve they're offering to their end users. Now you asked before, how, how did these deals come about? Uh, I think again, what we pride ourselves on is being the partner of choice for, for globally, you know, regulated enterprise grade companies. You know, PayPal is that interactive brokers in the United States, one of the largest, most successful broker dealers in history, you know, is that I think Mercado Libre saw that in us. I think New Bank saw that in us. And, you know, you mentioned kind of fear of the SEC, but, you know, the reality is PayPal's traded in, in the United States. Mercado Libre is traded in the United States. New Bank is traded, you know, publicly in the United States. So uh, we think that if a company is a publicly traded company and they want to offer a solution like this, well, we're probably the best solution because of our regulatory frameworks, our regulatory status, and the ability for us to help companies take their offering global. Uh, across many markets, but again, to do it from the same technology infrastructure, uh, it definitely simplifies the solution. It provides a lot of flexibility and confidence. Um, and at the same time, we're going to continue to evolve our offerings, you know, PYUSD kind of being the latest, but, you know, there are many other things we see in the pipeline that we'll continue to innovate on and offer those innovations to our customers to offer their end users, um, you know, if that makes sense for their, for their portfolios. And then uh, going back to the, the, the white label stablecoin conversation uh, and, and kind of tropicalizing it to Latin America specifically, uh, I mean, do you, do you see, um, you know, I guess 
is there is there a room for like a you know a Mercado Livre stable coin or like a new? I mean, there's already a new coin, but it's not it's not stable coin. It's just a, a, like a loyalty token. Um, uh, but for example, like BTG Pactual a few months ago, they launched their own stable coin, the BTG Dollar. Uh, that's that that at this point in time seems like it's more of like just an investment play where you can you know folks can allocate into their portfolio you know in, get exposure to dollars essentially in their portfolio but I don't know if they have actual uh, withdrawal ability enabled on that I could be wrong uh, but at, at the moment it's more of like a store of value type of play right uh, or an investment play and um, but just kind of curious as to you know are you seeing the same kind of demand for you know or same interest in in white label stable coins in Brazil whether they be uh, U.S. dollar pegged, whether they be Brazilian real pegged, whether they be pegged something else. Uh, are you seeing that same level of demand that maybe you were seeing, you know, in the U.S. at like at Money Twenty Twenty last week? I, so I, I can't share the plans of our customers, but what I can say is that there continue to be very clear opportunities for both our current customers and the prospects we speak to to integrate stablecoin into their ecosystem. And you know, already today, for example, Mercado Pago has access to USDP, and their users have bought and, and held you know, USDP for quite a while, same with PicPay, you know, and we think that that's a very kind of basic but simple entry point um, for their end users to have access to dollars. And just like you mentioned, BTG offering a digital dollar, I think it's a great sign that a regulated bank, a very big, very well-respected bank is entering the, the blockchain world in such a forward way. Now, over time, what I think we have to figure out as an infrastructure provider, what our customers want to figure out inside of a country like Brazil is now how do these different tools and technologies play with one another? How does you know potentially a, a new bank user send to a Mercado Pago user, just like in the US, you know, I could send money to a, a friend or family member through many different means, you know, very easily, maybe slow, maybe expensive, but I could do it. But in Brazil, there's a way of doing that almost instantly and seamlessly and potentially even free. How does it partner with the Drex? you know, pilot. I know there's a lot of evolution and, and new thinking that's constantly changing on what, you know, the digital rail will be, where it will operate, how it will operate. And, you know, our customers have been very public about participating in, you know, the Drex ecosystem so they could figure out how do they play, you know, in that world also. So I think there's going to not only is there existing demand for white label stable coins and just stable coins in general, both in Brazil and broadly, uh, but I think the interesting thing, again, we're at the very, very early stage of seeing how these technologies will, you know, touch other parts of the ecosystem that will also continue to evolve. Uh, and there are many new opportunities that will come up uh, that we haven't even really thought of yet today. Uh, but our customers may be thinking of them and we want to be the technology provider and the infrastructure provider to help them deliver that use case and workflow or, or product to their customer, uh, both in Brazil and anywhere else, you know, where we see the demand. Got it. Got it. And, uh, and you touched on the Drex ecosystem there. Um, and, you know, I think what's interesting about the Drex ecosystem is really, you know, it's, it's, it's like there is a, a, like a digital currency involved in this, but it's, it's, it's much more, it's much broader than just digital currency. It's much more than just, hey, right. we're going to send this thing back and forth to each other. But it's really this whole environment of tokenization and tokenizing bank deposits. And, uh, you know, banks will be issuing their own stable coins. And, and, and it, you know, it's, it's kind of a whole playground for, you know, it seems like exactly the type of solutions that you guys are offering here. Um, and just kind of thinking, you know, would love your your take on. I mean, I I, I appreciate that you're probably not a a, a Drex expert uh, to the extent that anybody is at this point. But um, but how do you kind of see? I mean, we've we've been focusing most of this conversation on stablecoins specifically. But how do you kind of see Paxos really providing infrastructure for for kind of a, just a broader like tokenization environment, like what you're seeing uh, being developed by the central bank here in Brazil? 
Yeah, I think tokenization, and you've even heard like Larry Fink from BlackRock, you know, sing the tokenization praises for the past few weeks. Tokenization to me is the future of, of moving any asset. And another critical part of Paxos's just belief as a company and our strategy is that eventually all of it, most if not all assets will move to blockchain. Uh, and the path to moving assets to blockchain is to tokenize them. Uh, and there may be steps to how this, this works. It could be a tokenized, tokenized representation of an asset at first. It could be the direct tokenization. It could be the direct issuance. It could be the issuance, but not the trade. I mean, there are a lot of different things that will come up as use cases around tokenization. But the key question is, what does tokenization provide as a benefit to both the platform and then to the end users? Well, it could be a democratization of access, right? Now more people may have access. I've seen a lot of uh, publications in Brazil um, about democratizing access to real estate investment and democratizing access to yield bearing deposits um, to be able to get more than kind of the standard one or 2% yield you know, that a typical bank account would offer, you know, and fractionalization of real estate is an example of, again, offering a piece of real estate, you know, to the, to the masses. And I think that's, that's a real, um, you know, valuable step forward. And again, it's just one of many. We've seen demand for tokenized money market funds, tokenized bonds. We've seen demand for tokenized commodities. Brazil's a huge commodity market. Um, you know, we already do that with gold, but now we've seen demand for even other forms of tokenized assets because there either are more access that you're either providing more access to users you're providing a broader base of users to get access you may be doing it at a lower cost you know when you think about fees and management fees of all these different you know whether they be etfs or or mutual funds well this could drop the cost of creating and redeeming and managing many of those etfs and funds by you know by a magnitude or even more um you know dropping that over you know overhead uh, which of course means that the return to the end user is significant. This could open up global markets as well, because a tokenized asset again can move instantly globally. Uh, well, that means that maybe a user in Brazil has access to purchase a, a bond from Hong Kong, right, or a, a gold futures from uh, from Australia or India or wherever. And uh, again, I think we're only at the very early stages of seeing not just where tokenization comes into play, uh, but what now has to play along with tokenization now. If the asset's going to move globally instantly, you probably also need the currency to move globally and instantly. I think that's where stablecoin, you know, really comes in. And, you know, again, maybe the assets move around the world in dollars like most of them do today. And then maybe locally, there's a need to off ramp into a digital version of a local currency. Uh, and I think Drex could be one of the first steps forward to that. And you've seen that in a couple of other markets on very small scales. Uh, but I think this is a very exciting time to be thinking about tokenization to be thinking about what can tokenization do for your users and what's the business opportunity that tokenization can provide to your whole company. Uh, and again, we would love to talk to anyone who's thinking about, you know, that taking that journey, because again, we could help them do it in a regulated way. I think that's going to be really a key path forward. Yeah, absolutely. No, super well said. I, I appreciate the way you're articulating the value of, of tokenization, because I think it's something that, you know, sometimes people don't really think through like the full implications of it. It's like, well, we just, we have this thing in real life and we're just putting it on a blockchain. Like, how does that actually add any value? But it's really, it's that transference, it's that democratization, uh, it, it's the fractionalization, it's all these things that you mentioned. So very, very well articulated there. Um, and then one other quick question uh, on Brazil specifically, and then I'd like to get your thoughts on on uh, other things and, and just you know, the broader sure. LATAM region. Um, but with Brazil is interesting at the moment because you have, uh, I mean, right now your, your primary clients we, we talked about before are more of like on the fintech side, like, I mean, Nubank, uh, your, your Mercado Libre, Mercado Pago. And, uh, 
you know, obviously those are kind of like the, 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 the folks, you, the trad five folks that you'd expect to be kind of the first adopters of implementing a crypto as a service, uh, you know, platform that they're offering to their clients. Uh, but with with the Drex environment incoming, with with regulation incoming from the central bank, we're expecting that you know mid next year ish. Um, there's uh, there there's there's an opportunity here for kind of like the larger, more like tradfi banks in Brazil uh, to be kind of getting into this uh, game here. This we've already seen BTG do it, like they've got their Mint platform, uh, which is which is separate from like their their main platform, but it's still you know quite novel. The fact that a, a large bank like that is offering this to their customers, but um, just to kind of like your thoughts on, you know, how significant is it that, you know, you have, you know, like the largest banks in the country, like the Itaú's and the Santander's and the BTG's are, are, I mean, they've all got digital asset teams that are like, I mean, these are, this is all public information. They're all kind of like rocking and rolling on building this stuff out, getting, getting infrastructure in place. And, you know, how, how does, I guess, how does, uh, you know, uh, you know, a, a, a product and service, like, like what you guys are offering kind of fit into that. And then just how significant is it just just generally speaking for the market that you have banks of this size that are really lining up to to, to partake in the market? Because I know it's, it's quite a bit different than what we have in the U.S. at the moment, right, where things are a little more, uh, I think, think, you know, a little more behind the scenes at, 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 at the at, at, in you know, the very most generous framing of it. Yeah. So, again, I'll go backwards in, in your uh, comments. I think it's as I mentioned with BTG before, it's an extremely positive signal for the market that you have large banks, regulated banks, traditional, sometimes very old banks now starting to dabble. And I do use the word dabble intentionally because that, that's kind of really what's happening. Um, <clears throat> I think it's great to see it. I think it's very important that they understand the space, but these are very large banks. They're not gonna move fast. They typically don't move first, but then they very often wanna scramble to not be last. Um, and I think that's kind of the innovators curve that you're gonna see across most big banks. We also should recognize New Bank is a giant bank. Um, it doesn't have physical branches, but it's a 90 million user bank. Um, and, you know, I don't even want to call them a neobank. They are a bank. Um, and to see them moving as fast as they had, um, you know, as a company, I think is a, probably the most important signal to what can happen when a bank account holder's most trusted financial partner, their bank, you know, company, their banking partner uh, is offering the service. and. I think end users really would prefer in many cases to get crypto, to get dollars, to get tokenized, whatever, from a tra uh, from their traditional partner who they've trusted forever. And I think that's why, you know, when a bank is thinking about providing the service to do it with a trusted regulated partner who can make it really easy, very seamless and turnkey to operate in their very regulated, constrained environment. That's where I think Paxos comes in very handy. And I think, again, it's great to see companies kind of building their own internal blockchains and, you know, dabbling with tokenization. But as you mentioned, those projects may remain just projects for a very long time, because until there are very clear rules of the road or, or regulatory frameworks in place, I think it's going to be challenging to get Itaú to partner with BTG to send assets back and forth, right? Because th th there's not a very clear framework of how that would work. How do you settle? How do you manage risk? How do you look at risk? How do you share compliance information? Um, whereas we think the fintechs have actually moved very fast on that. And Nubank being a technologically driven and advanced bank, I think shows what any bank can do. Uh, but they've got to choose the right partner. They've got to make sure that this is part of the, you know, the, the traditional workflow of their end users. And I think they'll see massive demand uh, from being able to do so. You know, the U.S. has been very slow because the banks in the U.S. are, I think, much more 
tightly regulated by the federal government, which has not issued very clear you know, guidelines. Uh, whereas at the state level in the United States, we've seen very clear guidelines issued and it's helped many companies move forward in a very, very fast way. Uh, and hopefully the U.S. catches up. Otherwise, the U.S. will be left behind by markets like Brazil or even the EU, um, which has issued very, very clear guidance on how regulated companies can touch the blockchain world. Got it, got it. And then we're almost out of time here. So I just want to get some final thoughts from you on um, you know, anything else in Latin America that you guys are doing that is, is worth paying attention to or we should be on the lookout for. Uh, and then any other kind of general thoughts before we wrap up here? And how can, how can folks get in touch with you if they, if they have more questions or, or want to follow up? Totally. I mean, the easiest way to reach us, just go right to Paxos.com, submit an inquiry. Uh, we would love to get back to you. You can obviously find us on, on LinkedIn um, and other places as well. But, you know, we're, we're easy to find. Um, in terms of what we're seeing across Latin America, uh, I think there are, there are kind of major sectoral shifts happening across the whole region. One, the region is growing very fast. Uh, and I think that that's obviously great, you know, to see from population growth and new business growth. And obviously that that is helping the entire economy um, of the region grow, you know, in the aggregate. Uh, the second thing is we see a significant demand for dollars across these regions, across the whole region. Uh, and I think that's not going to slow down. We've seen massive improvements happening in the way people can send and receive money. You know, New York, uh, sorry, the U.S. to Mexico is a giant remittance corridor. You're seeing a ton of commerce between Brazil and Argentina. You're seeing a lot more companies now pop up in Colombia. You're seeing big growth in, in you know, many smaller markets that traditionally had kind of been left, you know, to the side because they didn't have access to the same banking system or access to dollars. Well, stablecoin and blockchain really helps that. And I think we're going to see a lot of new opportunities pop up, you know, in these regions. The third thing, as we mentioned about Brazil, Brazil really leading the way. And I think other markets are now starting to take note um, as to how the government can partner with the private sector to foster innovation, to drive innovation. And that, of course, drives investment into the market. Um, and you're seeing a ton of VC money pour into Brazil. Uh, you're seeing a lot of VC money pour into Colombia, um, you know, where you've seen very, very clear innovation and partnership you know, on the financial level between the government and uh, the technology sector to really provide you know, new opportunities, not just for startups, but of course, just for the end consumer um, as well. So come to Paxos.com and find us. And um, you know, we're happy to speak to any company who wants to solve those problems, as I mentioned before. Awesome. Awesome. Mike Isetta, thanks so much for coming on the show. It's a real pleasure to have you here. Thanks, Aaron. Appreciate it.